set and match. This is a Sky Sports News Radio podcast. We're halfway through Roland Garros, so it's time to take stock. Today we look back at the week that's been, including Serena's astounding first-round defeat and discuss how it's been a turbulent week if you're a world number one, with Djokovic surviving a two-set deficit while Azarenka was dominated by Dominika. We also hear from former champion Mary Pierce on why she believes women's tennis isn't as exciting as it used to be and how she thinks she'd still be challenging at the top of the game if it weren't for injury. All that and more only on Tennis Weekly. Welcome along to the second edition. I'm Adam Bates and with me chewing the Parisian fat today is former player and now regular Sky Sports commentator Nick Lester who is taking time off his broadcasting commitments at Roland Garros to talk to us. So thank you very much Nick. How have you been the past week in Paris? Yeah it's been good. Uh, Adam has been very good. Very lucky with the weather out here obviously. That we've, had a, we've had a pretty clear run the last week. I think it's shaping up nicely. The only slight concern is the weather which uh, seems to have taken a rather a turn for the worst overnight. Yeah that could be conducive for Nadal one would suspect but let's start off with the first round action concerning Serena Williams now me and Barry Cowan in last week's Tennis Weekly were both suggesting that she is the outright favourite but us just like many others have uh, been made to look rather foolish after she managed to lose to Virginie Ratsano she was 5-1 up in the second set tiebreak so on the verge of victory but then promptly went 5-love down in the final set before Ratsano closed it out after that epic 23-minute game. And I think epic, Nick, is the right word concerning this shock. Well, it was. You have to be absolutely brutally honest, I think, and say that Serena played a pretty awful third set, didn't she? It was, was one of her worst sets, I would suggest, of her Grand Slam life. And the first time ever that she's lost in the first round of a, of a slam, which is, which is in itself quite remarkable, really. I do think, you know, <laughs> really, it's astonishing how, how the French seem to, year on year, produce some wonderful results in the first week. The Razzano story is incredible, really, with, with her losing her fiancé last year, and, and that was obviously very tragic for her. And, and she's been through a lot. She's down outside the top 100 now. She's a lovely girl, Virginie, actually. She really is. She's, she's, a, she's a really bubbly individual. She's got lots of personality, and sadly for her, she couldn't back it up in the second round. But as for Serena, you know, I think it was the first time ever she'd lost it in a Grand Slam first round, so... For her, it was rough, but she simply didn't play well enough. That was that was the bottom line, and and you know I think for her, there's bigger challenges ahead. She'll she'll go to Wimbledon, she'll go to the Olympics. I think those clearly are are two tournaments where uh, she feels like she can she can you know blast through the field perhaps a, a little easier than she could on the clay here. Um, and you know what? Sometimes it's just life. It's that's the way it goes for Serena. She took it on the chin. To be fair to her, she was pretty upset because she's a winner. But you're right. You know I, I was the I also had her as a favourite coming in here purely on on what we'd seen from her in Madrid down there. Uh, and various other tournaments. So it's tough, but I think, uh, you know, in many ways, I think a lot of people were very pleased with Virginia Ratson that, that she had her opportunity to shine. And so with Serena Williams out of the way, it was a perfect opportunity for somebody, say, like Caroline Wozniacki, perhaps, in her quarter of the chore to make some deep progress. But lo and behold, she's out in the third round, Takaya Kanepi. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I do feel a little bit for Wozniacki. I really do. I, I think she is... She is a little bit in the Dinara Safina mold of a couple of years ago, where she is a she was a world number one clearly on on a merit. I think she got a bit of a rough deal. I really do. I, I felt for her a little bit. She, you know, she she was tough yesterday. A set and five one down against Kanepi. She battled hard. We actually spoke to Sven Gronovic a couple of times this week at uh, over here in Paris and. 
he was talking about her game, how they're trying to get her to move forwards a little more. She hits her forehand, trying to get her to try and dictate with her forehand a little more. And I think it's a work in progress. And she called mistakes made by the chair umpire, Pancho Ayala, in that one, and the line judges, a disgrace because she did get rather het up at one point, or one or two points, and she's even called for Hawkeye. What's your opinion on that? Should it be used when there are clear marks on the clay? Well, we've got it here, so why not use it? That's my that's my issue. I mean, if it's here, the guys that are here, the Hawkeye guys that are here, I think that you want, they're on two courts or three courts, two courts I think they're on. I mean, why not use it? I mean, for me, it would make sense. Obviously, the flip side of that is it does mark. The clay does mark. There are issues, though, when players, and we saw it yesterday with Ronich and Monaco as well, there are issues when there is, there is it is up for discussion and is a bit of a grey area as to what the, where the mark is or if it's actually caught the line because between the line and the actual clay, there is a slight... Uh, area in between the two where it is a little unclear so for me I would certainly use it on the main two show courts if we have it here which we do um, why not it just takes that you know, it takes that argument out of it doesn't it and it would certainly clear things up a little more this is a Sky Sports News radio podcast Right, Nick, let's talk about what's happened on this Sunday afternoon then. Quite a lot has been going on. Let's first of all talk about the women's world number one, Victoria Azarenka. She has been knocked out by Dominika Sibulkova, who got close to beating her earlier this season, but finally she's cracked it just about, squeezing it out in the second set. And that's perhaps the biggest victory of her career. Yeah, and there was a bit of baggage there as well, wasn't there, after uh, they played in North America earlier in the year. And, of course, Sybil Kova, led by a set and 5-2, would have become the first person to beat Azarenka this year uh, as well back then. Didn't happen for her. And I think, actually, you know what, in many regards, that helped her today because I think that was almost the spur. That was the incentive for her this afternoon to really try and push on and say, uh, you know what, I'm not going to just let this one, I'm not going to let Azarenka lose this one. I want to be the one that's going to win it. And I think she did a great job of doing that, Tibblekova. She's tough. You know, so often you see with these, I don't mean to disrespect, but the smaller players, she's only four foot four, five foot five. She, we call her a pocket rocket back here. And she has that kind of mentality, that tough mentality that she, she's gritty. You know, she was told as a youngster that she wasn't going to play tennis. She was too small, they told her. But she, you know, fought through that. She's fought through a lot. She has a good game for clay as well. She hits with a lot of spin. And I just think that the loss she had to Azarenka uh, last, a couple of months ago in the States when she had that winning position really helped her today because she really pushed on through. She made sure at the key moments she stayed aggressive and it was in her hands. Uh, And Azarenka has to go back a little bit to the drawing board and was was very disappointed, it must be said afterwards. How surprised are you, given that how she's played already this week, Azarenka, because she had a big scare in the first round against Brianti and she made her victory over Vosniak look a little bit difficult. Uh, yeah, how surprised am I? So-so. I, I'm not massively surprised. I mean, I mean, you know, we know how in and out the women's game has been in the last couple of years. I think now it would be a, a sixth different winner in a row of, of, of a major as far as the women's game goes, more than likely. So I'm not massively surprised, personally. I, I do think you have to give credit to Sybil Kova. I, I really do. I think she played, a, she played a good match. She pushed Azarenka around when she had the opportunity. She was able to get on the front foot. And, and I must say, I, I think... It's, it's a little less about Azarenka for me today uh, than it is about Sybil Kova. Clearly, uh, in terms of the surface, you would probably have to say that Azarenka is going to be a little better on a hard court where her, you know, her groundies are able to penetrate the court through the court a bit more. And then on the flip side, it's better for Sybil Kova, this surface, where she has a slightly more extreme grip on her forehand. It's slightly more of a Western grip. So she is able to push players back with the spin that she's able to use. Uh, and it was pretty cold this morning. It must be said it wasn't ideal for someone like Azarenka. You know, 
the bigger hitters do, the, the players that like to keep the points short are going to struggle in those sorts of conditions. Uh, and Sibelkova was able to take advantage. So can she go on to win it now? You know what? Never say never. You, you never say never in, in this draw. And we've, we've certainly learned our lesson in the last couple of the years. No one would have thought Schiavone could have won here a couple of years ago. And, and obviously uh, last year we had uh, Nar Lee, Lee Nar winning this. So it's open. It's very, very open. It's more than likely as well uh, that we will have a new world number one come uh, this time next week uh, as far as the women's game goes because uh, I think if, if Sharapova makes the final she goes to number one or, or something like that there's a few eventualities that, that could come to the fruition but it's open there's a lot of lefties doing well here as well I think mm. half the field in the last 16 were lefties on the women's side so it's open I wouldn't I would say Sybil Kova who's uh, been to the, the semis here a couple of years ago in Shasta Safina could well go to that position again and, and from there who knows on Friday Nick I decided that my favorite for the women's title was going to be Sara Arani after she impressively came back against Anna Ivanovic today she was outrageously good against Svetlana Kuznetsova who herself had a very bad day compared to her victory against Radvanska it's all over the place <laughs> it is and you're right but you're right to you know, like Irani's game on clay, she's she's another one. She's in the Sibylkova mold in in the way she hits the ball. She she's unusual for for the woman these days. She hits with heavy spin off the forehand side. She moves great. Her two handed backhand is very very solid. She knows how to play on clay as well. And this is such a key aspect. You know, a lot of these Eastern Europeans, uh, these Southern, these Mediterranean Europeans that like Irani, who's played a lot on clay as a youngster. She knows how to move on this court. She and that's such a big thing. You know, we we talked to Ryan Harrison here last week, and he. He was saying the big thing on clay these days with it is that the Europeans learn to slide into the ball, whereas everyone else slides after the ball. And, and it sounds like a silly thing, but it's actually such a big part of the game. And it's shot selection on clay. It's, it's understanding what shot to hit at the right time. It, it, it emphasizes that so much more. And Irani has a very good game. She hits a very high, loopy spinning ball that pushes opponents back. Um, she's won three titles on clay this year already. Uh, and you're quite right to put her in that bracket. For her experience is clearly going to come into play, but she is a little bit, as I say, she, she has a bit of the Skiavonis in her. Skiavonis had a bit more variety to her game, uh, but certainly the forehand is a heavy ball that she hits, and and Kuznetsova, and as you say, wasn't good today, it must be said, but she did recover well in the second set, and Irani kept her nerve. Well, Nick, you're on the other side of the channel, but you'll be fully aware of what's going on in London today. It's the Jubilee, mm-hmm. big celebrations, the Queen going down the river, etc, etc. I had friends down today. We thought, well, we best go along and see it as we're in London. So we made our way to Leicester Square, then thought, uh, we'll just check the Roland Garros scores. But we thought, oh, Djokovic will beat Seppi and Federer will have no problem against Goffin. We checked the scores and thought, what? Djokovic is a set down to Seppi. We spent the entire afternoon in a sports bar. We didn't see a single flotilla. So <laughs> that's how it works. And we didn't regret it one bit because what a thrilling afternoon of tennis it's been today. Djokovic, two sets down against Andreas Seppi. He manages to pull it around. But having listened to him in his press conference afterwards, and I know you've been listening to his words as well, he didn't sound too chuffed with, chuffed with himself. No, and a classic case of somebody that, that played poorly but managed to pull it through. Um, the simple fact of the matter was Andreas Seppi was a better player in the first two sets. That's, that's the fact of the matter. Seppi was, I've not seen Seppi hit his forehand as well as that as, as in a long time. And I saw him a lot in Rome last week, the improvements he's made. The se- you know, Seppi was a guy that had a very poor second serve. His, rec- his second serve was awful. It was his Achilles heel for a very long time. But the second serve was very solid today. He bullied, he bullied Djokovic with his forehand. I don't think people thought he could do that. You know, we came into this match talking about how Seppi was going to be able to hurt Djokovic. Djokovic 
Djokovic a, a, perhaps a touch too negative at times uh, in this match, just waiting for Seppi to miss, I thought. Uh, it didn't happen, and he got himself in bother. And, of course, had we been best of three, Seppi would have, would have got the job done. But it wasn't to be. And as I say... Djokovic didn't play well. don't think Djokovic has played that great all tournament, really. Again, perhaps against De Vilda, where he outclassed his man, was, was better. Um, again, I, I have my concerns over Djokovic. I, I just, for me, I think the pressure of being, of trying to achieve what he's trying to achieve here is weighing quite a lot on his mind. And you can manage it now. He's into the quarters. We'll see. But uh, we've been dumb, confounded and, and dumbfounded in many ways by Djokovic's uh, levels of, of bounce-back ability and his toughness over the last couple of years. But I just think that it's playing on his mind a lot, what, what he's about, what he could achieve here if he were to win three more matches. And I'm not sure it's, uh, it's going to be his year. Are you trying to say what I'm thinking? And that's that he's coming across as a bit of a grumpy so-and-so, isn't he? Yeah, but I think the circumstances are, are, are bringing that into play. And, and I, I think he was grumpy in Rome, to be honest. I think he was a bit grumpy throughout the whole of the clay. Just board. a little bit in Madrid as well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but then it, a lot, quite a few people were in Madrid, so he's, he's not alone in that boat. But um, yeah, for me, I think it's pressure. I think the pressure of being here and having this... this incredible achievement on his racket within touching distance is is playing a part um his parents are actually here as well which is quite unusual i haven't seen his parents at all in virtually this year traveling with him but they're here now they've may come over um they were sitting courtside today uh, again I, I repeat myself i think seppi was very good for the first two sets and i think you've got to give credit to him Djokovic was a bit defensive was a touch negative in his tennis um but he escaped and he's through um, um, for me, I don't see him as a favourite right now, um, but uh, but he's still going. So Federer then, he had a little bit of a scare in the first set against Goffin. Again, he's dropped another set, but what a story that would have been for Goffin if he'd managed to pull off the biggest shock of all. Well, you know what you look for when you see a young a young player on tour. You look as if they. You look at them and you do you sort of think? Do they believe in themselves? Do they go on a big court and do they are accept second best? And Goffin today was absolutely brilliant. He was outstanding. He took it to Federer. There was none of this nonsense of it being the uh, the kind of. Uh, the junior against the senior, if you like, the apprentice uh, uh, against the, the the young man making his way up. I, I thought Goffin was outstanding, and he looked like he really matched Federer for quite a lot of that match. And Federer snuck a break at the end of the second, and that really proved to be a watershed moment for him because he kicked on from there. But even in the fourth set, there was a couple of you know rallies where Goffin was in there. He had Love 30 on Federer's serve when Federer was serving for the match at 5-4. So it was very tight, very tight, and I like Goffin a lot. The, the, the talk of the town here is that now what his problem has been in the past, that when he's gone to play challenges, when he's played players that are not as good as him, he struggled. He's just going to struggle for motivation because he knows he's better than them. But his ranking will rock it now. It'll get him inside the top sort of 80, I would suspect, somewhere around that mark. And therefore, he'll be able to play a little more of the ATP events. And uh, I think, I hope that we'll see a bit more of him. Not a bad showing from a lucky loser. And did you see at the end as well, like, I've never seen it before after a fourth round match where they interviewed both players on the court. And at the end, Roger Federer, who is Goffin's idol, or was when he was growing up, he just put his arm around him and gave him a bit of a monkey scrub as well. I missed it, but I have heard about it. You're absolutely right. I have heard. And uh, it was nice to see. And Federer knows, you know, that uh, there's a few youngsters coming up behind him. And he also knows that he's still got the game to beat them. So I think it was all in good spirits. So after all you've seen this weekend in the men's draw, do you feel there is anybody that can still challenge Nadal? Because I know he is your favourite. 
Yeah, he remains my favourite. I, I don't haven't seen anything else that would suggest any other any other uh, anything to sway my mind. For me, he he is the man to beat. It's as simple as that. He, he's he's got the game. He's playing nicely. He's very confident right now. And as I said, you know, I, I think the court Philip Chatteret helps him. It's a, such a big call out here. He's able to to chase down so many balls. He's so comfortable. Um, and I think, you know, for me, whatever the conditions as well, you know, I often think Nadal, as he said, plays his best when it's sunny. But I think, you know, even if you look at the other the other players, if you take, for example, Djokovic and Federer, if you're given the circumstances, if you're given if it's a cloudy, wet, cool day like it was today, Nadal can still come through that, I think. He's still got the, 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 he, the way he plays. He's still able to overcome that, whereas I think that just reduces the effect of someone like Djokovic. Uh, and Federer, who have to go after Nadal, but I think for Nadal, he's still in either side of either of those conditions. He can still play his best tennis. It's set to be quite a cool week here, we're told. Um, but I'm still going with the Spaniard. I think you know, I mean, one loss here in his career certainly wouldn't sway me. We'll get stuck into Murray and his bothersome back in a moment. But first, here's Tom Cross with a recap of all the other significant ties this week. <laughs> With week one at Roland Garros done and dusted, we're into week two and round four conclusion tomorrow with defending champion Lina up against Shadova of Kazakhstan. Lina has worked her way through a draw with minimal fuss so far, only losing a set to Christina McHale in the last round. She could possibly face Wimbledon champion Petra Kvitova in the quarterfinals. After knocking out Caroline Wozniacki, Estonia's Kai Kanepi faces Arantxa Rus of the Netherlands, with the winner most likely facing Sharapova in the quarterfinals. On the men's side, David Ferrer has been pretty unstoppable so far. He faces Marcel Granolas of Spain. Berdic pushed a five by Kevin Anderson in the, the third round and plays Del Potro in round four. That's the biggest tie of the round for me. Away from the top four, Tip Saravich plays Nico Almagro. That's got five sets written all over it. This is a Sky Sports News Radio podcast. Tom Cross there with all the big matches so far this week that we haven't already mentioned. Now, Andy Murray then, Nick, he's caused some headlines this week. We thought he was on the verge of retiring against Jarko Niemann in, in the second round, but then he manages to shake off his back problem, apparently against Santiago Geraldo, and he's through to round four. What do you make of his progress so far and that back? Uh, it's been a very Murray first three rounds, hasn't it? Really, for as far as the Brits concerned, I mean, there's been there's been a few issues here and there, but full credit to him against uh, Jarko Niemann because he was gone. You know, he was for a set and a bit. He he couldn't serve, as you say, he was completely out of it, and yet he found the toughness to come through. He dug in. He didn't quit. His team wanted him to quit. You know, his team were by the side of the court, Matt Little and Andy Ireland, and the guys were standing there saying, "Look, you got to stop. You got to look after yourself." There's, there's some big tournaments around the corner, but he didn't. He chose to to dig in. And and carry on and, and full credit to him uh, with that regard. Uh, obviously, I saw the, the comments of Virginia Wade from a, a couple of days ago who called him a drama queen, and uh, that was a little over the top, I think. But you know what? It's 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 what quite a lot of people feel in the UK, and rightly or wrongly, Andy. We do sometimes, I think, Andy is sometimes so easily a person to be shot at with regards to his antics and the way he goes about it. But take him away, Adam, and British tennis is pretty lightweight, and I think that's what sometimes we just need to sit and, and remember with regards to this situation, because he's the world number four, and in an era where it's probably the greatest of all time this era we're very fortunate to have him and a lot of people may say well you know there's a lot of issues surrounding him there is but he's through to the 16 here again and I quite fancy him to beat Richard Gasquet Gasquet was awesome yesterday against Tommy Haas and even though Gasquet beat him in Rome 
I still fancy Murray for this one. I think he's, uh, this is the sort of match that Murray really likes to get his teeth into. It'll be on Shattery, I'm sure. It'll be a wonderful atmosphere. And I do expect Murray to come through against Gaskell. I think he can move Gaskell off the baseline. He'll just mess him around a little bit. And I think he'll outlast him in the end. I really do. Well, do you think that the home crowd might hinder Gasquet in a way like it has done before as well and actually help Murray? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I mean, I, th- I do think Gasquet's matured a-, a touch in the last year. It looks, looks certainly... Since Ricardo Piatti came on board, that's clearly been a good influence. Piatti, uh, one of the first things Piatti said to, to Gasquet was that he wanted him to push his shoulders back a bit more as an individual. You know, he wanted him to. to he, the tennis has never been an issue for Gasquet, and that's the thing. But, he, but Piatti wanted him to just almost hold a slightly more air of, of a confident person on court. Just look like he believed in himself a touch more, and, and I think that's certainly. Been, been the way. Um, there are still Gasquet letdowns. Uh, there, there have been many. I remember at the Aussie Open this year when he beat Tipsarevich Gasquet and got duffed by Ferrer in the next round. So uh, there have still been those issues w- with the Frenchman. And you're right, the French don't have never particularly enjoyed in the last decade or so playing, having the pressure on them and having the attention on them. And Gasquet is someone that has never enjoyed that either. So that's why I fancy Murray. I think he's a better player than Gasquet when they're both at their best. And I think Murray, over the course of five sets, will be out. Well, should be able to outmaneuver. Well, one French person who has been able to cope with the pressure of the home support in the past is a lady called Mary Pierce. Now, I spoke to her earlier. She is the former Roland Garros champion. She lifted the title back in 2000. She's a two-time slam winner, a former world number three. We discussed, firstly, the result of her compatriot, Virginie Razzano, overcoming Serena Williams. That was amazing. Unfortunately, I wasn't there, but I watched the third set on TV. I mean, I'm so happy for her. You know, with everything that she's been through and... You know, a year ago she was here playing after her boyfriend passed away. And, you know, I know Virginie quite well. She's a wonderful girl. And so I was very, very happy for her because I know she's been through a lot and she's worked hard. Well, it's, of course, meant that the whole drawer has been blown wide open. Is there anybody else that has stood out to you? Hmm. That's a tough question. You know, you've still got Maria that's there and uh, in the draw and experience. But, you know, clay is not her best surface. We usually get surprises at Roland Garros, so we'll yeah. see. Come on, Mary, no sitting on the fence. You've got to pick one name. <laughs> um, that's really, really tough. One name for the women's. And it's a little bit unfair because I haven't seen Kuznets of a play. I don't know. It's either Azarenka, Kuznets of a sheriff. I'll give either Azarenka. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, come on then. Are you going to be any more clear on the men's side? Who's going to win the men's title? Djokovic. Ah, there we go. You yeah. were direct with that one. Why are you so confident that he'll win it? Jericho. Well, um, I really love watching him play. I love his game. Um, I'm a fan of Roger and I'm a fan of Rafa for sure. So, you know, I love those three players a lot. So it's tough uh, to say. I mean, Rafa looks really strong right now. Mm, Novak doesn't look as strong as he did last year. But you never know. I'm going to pick Djokovic. Now, you personally, you have great memories of Roland Garros. There's your title in 2000 yeah. uh, and also that astonishing victory over Stephanie Graf when she was the defending champion 17 yeah. years ago. Can you quite believe it was that long ago? <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> that just doesn't sound right. <laughs> no. In fact, no, I've got that wrong. It's 18 years ago, isn't it? Well, let's see. I was, what, 19? I'm 37, so... What's your favourite memory from the French Open? Jeez, I have a lot. 
you know, of course, that shot in between the legs against Monica was amazing, and the response <laughs> of the crowd afterwards, amazing. I think beating Steffi was amazing. Definitely the match against Martina Hingis, 2000 semifinals. You know, we were both cramping in the third set. That was an amazing match. Just, you know, really the matches where the crowd's going crazy, doing the wave around the court, packed stadium, exciting matches. It's the best moment. I mean, it's, it's the best atmosphere. It's the best ambiance. Philippe Chatrier center court with a packed crowd. It's it's exciting. And you played with some terrific players, didn't you? You've already mentioned Graf. Uh, there was Celes. You've got friend Hingis as well. The Williams sisters, Enan Kleisters. The list goes on. And when you look at the Navratilova, women's game, Sabatini. <laughs> yeah, so many. Novotna. Yeah. When you look at the women's game today, how healthy do you think it is? You know, I don't think women's tennis is exciting as it used to be. I think it's a lot of one-dimensional style of play. Um, it's not as much of an all-around court game as it used to be. It's more baseline. There's less personality, per se, you know, whereas, you know, you, each player you kind of knew by name and they had a different personality and a style of game, and it was exciting to watch, you know. I mean, you've got few players today that are really out there showing emotion and or having fun and playing with their heart and you know it's exciting and entertaining so, I mean <clears throat> you've got a few but it's not like it used to be mm, so what needs to change do you think for it to improve in that regard well I think maybe to develop women's tennis to develop the games of the girls as they're as they're watching tennis today but as they're developing their game you know training on developing an awkward game I think, first of all. And when you look at Razzano, knocking out the pre-tournament favourite, and mm-hmm. and also considering what you've just said about the level of play at the moment, does that make you think, hmm, I wonder if I've still got it in me to be competitive? Oh, well, I mean, for sure. You know, I mean, I've been injured almost six years. It's five and a half years now. I haven't been able to play. So, you know, when I look at the level of tennis and I'm watching on TV, I, I mean, you know, if I was healthy and if I had the desire to play, I think I would still do very well. Do you think you might come back and play? Uh, well, you know, my knee is still hurting and, you know, no one really knows why and <laughs> what to do for it. So I don't know, you know, I mean, I'm 37 and if one day I don't hurt, I don't know how old I'll be and if I'll have the desire or the motivation or the ability to train as hard as it takes to really be at the top. Sure. So let's just clarify this. This is the left knee injury that you picked up horribly against Ferris von Areva in Linz all the way back in 2006. So just um, how healthy is the knee? From what you're saying, I'm gauging that it's by no means perfect yet. Well, definitely not perfect, that's for sure. I mean, I I can walk around, have a normal life without pain. I can't have an active sports life without pain. I mean, I'm limited in what I can do. I mean, I walk up the stairs and down the stairs I have pain. But I'm very, you know, with the state that I'm in, I'm very grateful I can walk. You know, I know it can be a lot worse and I don't have pain and... You know, I miss being able to go for a run or, you know, doing sports and things like that that I can't do. But I'm grateful to be able to walk without pain. And Yeah. What about the future for Mary Pierce? What does it hold, do you think? Well, a lot of tennis. I'm training these two kids. And, you know, I have another person that helps me, a sparring partner, another coach. And, um, you know, on the courts twice a day and traveling to tournaments. And uh, the young girl is going to start to try to play a few like uh, you know small professional tournaments the 10,000s or 25 things like that this year and so we'll see how it goes yeah we've seen your compatriot Amelie Moresmo come and help out Victoria as a ranker is <laughs> is there a similar role that you could see yourself filling with a different player 
Um, well, first of all, if a player asked me, then I'd have to see, you know, in what capacity and how that would fit. And, you know, like I said, my priority are these two kids that, that I'm training. I don't know. <laughs> this is a Sky Sports News Radio podcast. Former Roland Garros champion Mary Pierce talking to me earlier and some very intriguing thoughts from her there, Nick, saying that women's tennis isn't as exciting as it used to be and there is less personality. Yeah, I mean, in many ways, it's hard to argue her point, really, because, uh, you know, one of the things that I I, I do feel at times that that the WTN ATP could do a little better job of is is actually... promoting the players with regards to just giving a little bit more of their personalities. If you remember a few years ago, we had Nikolai Davidenko, who I think a lot of people didn't really know as an individual, didn't know him as a person, and yet his his kind of real colour came out in the end after uh, he won the O2, and, and he was had a lot of personality and was, was a kind of funny type figure, and no one had ever seen this in, in Davidenko, and I, I just wonder if a couple of the women that we don't know too much about uh, are of that regard. One of the issues you've slightly got of, as well is that actually, you know, English isn't their first language. You know, Petra Kvitova is does come across at times as being slightly dour. Now, largely that's because her English isn't very good, so it's hard for her to kind of get a point across and get a real personality out when English isn't really her native tongue. You know, she's only twenty, whatever she is, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one. So yeah, these are young girls, and, and I, I, I do think at times the WHA could do a slightly better job of promoting them. But personality-wise, yeah, I, I, I understand where Mary's, Mary Pierce's comments come from with regards to that, because I agree, they, they do seem at times to be a little bit, if you like, almost a little bit dull and a little bit dour. But I, I do think as well that uh, sometimes you've got to understand where they've come from and, and their backgrounds and their personalities and maybe the WTA could just show them up a little better. And just talking about Mary herself for a minute, by the way, you do sound as if you're broadcasting from a portally right now, but we'll persevere. She uh, was mentioning there all the players that she used to play with, the Graf Seles, uh, Navratilova, the Williams sisters, Kleister, Zenon. And you just think, to come through and win two slams in that kind of era, you have to be a special player, and she was. Mary Pierce was a very special player. She was, you know, she was a she was a blaster, really. She was a goodness me. I mean, she she took the ball very early. She was ultra aggressive. She was a little bit. She was a little bit like an, an almost modern day Petra Kvitova in many ways. In, in the way she played the game, probably the serve was not as good. But you're right. No, she was, and and she came out the last lady, of course, to win the Roland Garros title here. Slightly interesting lady as well, Mary Pierce due to her different background she's a very religious girl actually and uh, but she she was a nice girl she's still very much in the game as you say and um and, and yeah for last last french lady to win here and i remember, I remember actually her beating graf i think it was in the semi-final she blew graf away uh, having been beaten by graf the year before in comfortable style and yeah, it was a good story and and she is uh, she's had her issues over the past as mary but she's another one who i think we knew a little bit more about as a person perhaps uh, as i say to some of the modern girls. What I admired most about her was actually how she came back in the mid-noughties because she had a few years where she wasn't picking up titles. You thought, well, perhaps she's finished, but then there we go. She snaps into action again. She had the will and determination and the love of the game to fight back and to reach another major final in 2005. Yeah, and I think she, you know, I think the thing about Mary is she loved playing the game, Adam. That's That was that was primary. And we've seen a few examples of that this week with Arno Clement, those sorts of guys, Tommy Haas, mid-30s. And she probably would, as you say, would probably have played the game a little longer had, had injuries not got in the way. And even more remarkable, given the fact that she probably spent two or three years completely on the sidelines doing nothing and yet still had the desire and the hunger that desperate was trying to get fit uh, to play at this level. She clearly thought she could still compete uh, at the highest level, but, but primarily, again, I would say just a love of the game, just really enjoy playing the game. And 
And I think you have to admire that. A quick thing I want to mention before we go is regarding some off-court news this week, and that's that Roger Federer is no longer going to be linked with the management company IMG and his agent Tony Godsick. Yeah, and was a bit touchy about it, as must be said in press a couple of days ago, understandably so. I don't think he was very impressed by the situation. He's left before. You know, you remember when he was first came on tour, he was with IMG, and then his wife, Amirka, took over her, her, his dealings with regards to uh, off-court activities, became too big a figure, clearly. So then IMG came back in and took him over. It is it is interesting um, where Federer will go now. A lot of people talking about whether Federer will go with Godstick and in terms of they'll go together somewhere. But I mean, IMG, you you know as well as I do how big a, an organization IMG are, not just on the agency side, but in the tennis world as well. I mean, they are running a heck of a lot of tournaments these days. I'm not sure. Federer, I have a feeling Federer may do his own thing and say, well, okay, I've got enough people, I've got enough money in place to, to sort things out myself. And I just wonder if he will, will do that. Yeah, strange timing halfway through a slam. But just explain for us, Nick, why it's such a big deal. It's not going to affect him on the court, is it? But then you do have to think that there is 50 million US dollars there or thereabouts involved in all of this per year. They look after basically everything that he does financially, the deals that he has, the tournaments in effect as well. You have to understand that, you know, when he goes to somewhere like Rotterdam to play a 500 event, they will negotiate his fee. They will negotiate what he's going to get, what he's worth for that tournament. Um, Again, it sounds very simplistic uh, when, I, when I say it like that, but um, you know, there, there is a lot more to it. You know, I don't fully understand the ins and outs of the, the, the deals, but from you know, again, from, from my personal perspective, it just felt to me, you're right, as though it was bad timing with regards to when it was, um, and it was, I don't know, it was almost as if Federer wasn't aware that Godsick was leaving, and it was, it was almost as if it caught him by surprise. Uh, Godsick is also heavily involved in tennis because he's married um, to Mary Jo Fernandez, who is the, of course, the American uh, former player and. TV pundit over here so it's a little tricky it's a little bit of a sticky situation but Federer's been here before and he's dealt with these greater challenges than that so I think uh, I think for the moment it'll just just stay relatively serene I don't think he'll go anywhere else initially IMG are a beast uh, for Federer to leave it's a big loss to them uh, whether the, what they'll do now with regards to where he goes remains to be seen so we're all but done for this week but before we go it's time for you Nick Lester as we will be doing every week with our guests to pick a player of the week. Paul-Henri Mathieu for me because I think he's been to hell and back with his career and he's done so well. I mean, a guy who didn't play 2011, didn't think he'd be playing in 2012, had numerous surgeries. As had, you know, With his career as well, you remember the time he was two sets up in the Davis Cup final. He's had a lot of rough time. He's had a lot of time to, to think about life as Paul-Henri Mathieu and what a wonderful achievement to come back and, and beat his in five on the main court. And I think we'll now get into Wimbledon directors as a result of his protected ranking as well. So for me, it'll be the French. Yeah, and it would have been a close-run thing if Brian Baker had progressed a little bit further, perhaps, I imagine, because it's a not-too-dissimilar story with him. Yeah, uh, you're right. Um, Brian Baker's story is remarkable. I'm almost getting a little sick of hearing it, to be honest. I've heard it so much <laughs> over the last week. But yeah, you're right. It is, it is a great story. The fact that he had, obviously, numerous hip surgeries, won the junior title here, didn't play for five years, six years, was actually playing Tennessee Tennis League last year with his dad and uncle, and uh, now he's back playing the French Open and winning around on the big court he'll go into Wimbledon a Baker story is going to run as well Adam he's not going anywhere in the immediate future if he stays healthy he'll be he'll be top 100 very soon and I suspect top 70 top 50 he's going to be around for a little while now well that's all we can squeeze in for this week thanks to Nick Lester and Mary Pierce too please do get in touch with any questions on Twitter at SSN Radio and remember you can watch all of Eurosports coverage of Roland Garros on the Sky 3D channel thanks for joining me Adam Bates and we'll do it all again next week on Tennis Weekly.
This is a Sky Sports News Radio podcast. Week one at Roland Garros all done and dusted and aside from the big names there's been some other players sneaking their way through the draws. Sarah Rani's just beaten Kuznetsova where she'll play Angelique Kerber in the quarterfinals after she came through her fourth round tie with Petra Martic of Croatia this morning in straight sets. With the possibility of playing Victoria Azarenka, the world number one in the semi-finals. She plays her fourth round match against Dominika Sibylkova, the feisty 15th seed from the Slovak Republic. David Ferrer and Thomas Berdic have been making their way through the men's draw without too much of a hiccup so far. Berdic pushed to five sets by Kevin Anderson in round three. He was two sets to one down, so a great comeback by Thomas. Apart from that, he's not really faced anyone that's really caused him many problems. He plays Del Potra in round four, which is the tie of the round, with the winner of that most likely playing Roger Federer. Away from the top four, Tip Saravich plays Nico Almagro. That's got five sets written all over it. This is a Sky Sports News Radio podcast.